All right, and we are live. Welcome back to the Rabbit Hole Podcast, where we do mediocre research and give our unwanted opinion about a topic that you probably don't care about. Uh, this week, it's not really uh, a pit. Well, I guess it could kind of be some opinion thrown in there a little bit, but we're just kind of going to sharing some information, telling some stories about some uh, popular ghosts, some of our famous, our favorite ghost stories and stuff like that. This one, this one shouldn't get uh, removed from YouTube, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we don't get this one flagged. <laughs> I don't know. We could probably get fact-checked or something like that, and someone would say we're spreading false information. I'm sure. I'm sure that'll happen. That's what happened to one of our other videos. <laughs> Anywho, um, I guess I'll go first in this. Go so, my favorite little ghost story haunting thing is um, one that's kind of close to home for all of us. And it's the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Um, growing up, uh, I was told a lot about this hotel and I, I heard a lot of stories about it and listened to a lot of stories about it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just something that's always interested me, something that's been close to home that I thought was the, was pretty cool. Definitely. But anyways, uh, in 1886, the Crescent Hotel and Spa was built in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. It's a 78-room resort hotel um, that is kind of on the higher end. It was a a classier, higher-end hotel. It sits on top of kind of a mountain uh, that overlooks uh, a valley. Uh, It was built by the Eureka Springs Improvement Company and Frisco Railroad and designed by Isaac L. Taylor, who was a well-known Missouri architect who was – famous for buildings in uh, St. Louis. Um, During that time period, it was kind of a, uh, let's just say the medical, uh, medical technology hadn't really developed yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And Eureka Springs was kind of known for its healing waters. Yeah. that flowed through the springs and stuff there. Um, so this hotel was kind of one of those places where you would go and relax and feel rejuvenated and healed and all that stuff. Um, that's why they built a spa into it as well. Now, didn't the Indians also use it as a as a spa and like healing waters? Uh, I think the I, Osage. I, I think the Osage used to like use it as a as a healing spa as well, but predating settlement. Probably it's, it's, I mean, that whole area, the whole area of the Ozarks is known for its springs and stuff like that of, mm-hmm. you know, a special water or whatever. Right. Um, anyways, the story of the hotel doesn't really get too interesting. Um, it changes hands a couple times. It goes through a couple different, um, what's that called? Renovations and stuff like that. Uh, it doesn't really get too interesting until about 1908 uh, when it was turned from a hotel into the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women. Um, it continued to act as a resort during the summer times, which was kind of the busy years. But it was more from from 1908 to 1924. It was a rehab, basically, um, for troubled women. Like girls' uh, school kind of thing. Yeah. Um, hmm. And that's kind of where some of the ghost stories start to appear. Uh, some of the ghosts are supposedly women from that time uh, who died. Uh, There was supposedly a woman who fell down the stairs and died 
uh, while she was going to school there or staying there. Um, and then in 1937, a man named Norman Baker uh, buys the hotel. Uh, Norman Baker was known as a con man. Um, he was a medical practitioner that didn't have a medical license. And he bought the hotel and turned it into a cancer hospital, basically, uh, where he would, where he was treating cancer and researching cancer, finding the cure for cancer is what his uh, advertisement was. But he was not a medical researcher. He was not a, a doctor of any sorts. He was not a scientist of any sorts. So basically, he was taking in patients letting them stay there and everything like that, um, extorting money from the family of the patients. He, would, he, he was known for writing letters to the family of the patients, telling them that, oh, so-and-so is improving, the cancer's getting better, we're this close to finding a cure, uh, but we need more money. And so the people would send him money and everything like that when really their loved one or whoever was already dead uh, and he was basically just experimenting on their body. Mm. And that's where a, a number of these ghost stories kind of stem from, is that there was a morgue that was actually built into the hospital or the hotel, whatever you, whatever it was at that point in time. Um, in the basement, right? Yeah, there was a morgue in the basement. He supposedly, he burnt bodies there, uh, he was also known for harvesting organs and uh, storing organs and burying them. Uh, there's actually – I'll get to that in a little bit probably. But anyways, so over the years he has he, – he, he does this and everything. Uh, eventually he finally gets captured in 1939, so – uh, two years after he starts this process, but and he ends up serving a four-year sentence in Leavenworth. Um, you said four? Yeah, four years. That's wow. it. It's uh, the investigation that the government did into him said that he embezzled approximately four million dollars from the families of cancer patients. Wow, four um, million in nineteen forty-seven or nineteen thirty-seven. Yeah, that's quite a chunk of change in today's yeah. time. Um, so the, the reason he only did four years is because no one actually died from his cure or his treatments or anything like that. Right. Um, all of his experimentation, all of his research and everything like that was done on bodies that were post-mortem. So they were already dead when he harvested organs and stuff like that. Um. But he so that's basically all he got in trouble for was like tampering with a body uh, and uh, being a con man, basically. Um, I just did the quick math on on uh, what that would be rate of inflation wise. That's seventy five million dollars today. Yeah. Uh, after he got off, after he got out of prison, uh, he moved to Florida and basically just retired. He bought he bought a nice place in Florida and he lived there comfortably until he died in ni 1958. That's crazy. So, yeah. He he's pretty successful in what he did. I mean, hmm. but anyways, um again after after he goes to prison and everything, the hotel tends to kind of change hands a lot nothing really much happens um in 1967 uh it catches on fire on the fourth floor and most of the south wing gets destroyed um it passes through hands a couple more times it gets rebuilt in 1997 is when the current owners uh bought uh marty and elise ronick um, 
so they buy it they uh, redo the, the whole building basically they renovated the whole building and they added on a 6500 square foot new moon spa um, so they basically just revamped the whole place but as of today the hotel is known for its um, one being a spa and two it's ghosts uh, that supposedly live there and they actually give ghost tours and stuff like that um, throughout a lot of a lot of the hotel most of these ghosts are from the baker cancer hospital days um, there's i'll read through some of them here um doo -doo -doo -doo. all right there's a red-haired Irish stonemason um, who the staff calls Michael. And in 1886, 1885, 1886, when the building was being uh, built, there was a lot of Irish stonemasons that came over. Uh, most of the men who worked on the, on the stonework of the building were Irish immigrants. And uh, while this Michael was working on the roof, he lost his balance and fell to the second store area where he was killed. Uh, so he's he's known to walk around there. Um, room 218 is like his room. Um, where they see him most, most prevalently? Yeah, that's, that's where he kind of stays at. I guess that's closest to the area of where he would have died at. And he's okay. known to kind of be mischievous and he plays he turns lights on and off. He opens and closes doors, turns the TV on and off, um, pounds on the walls. There's a lot of uh, a lot of these ghosts seem to be pretty harmless in what they do, right. uh, from what I can tell. There's, I think, only really one account of people being like at legitimately scared after staying in a room where Michael has supposedly been seen. And that's uh, one time they said they woke up in the middle of the night to screaming and there was blood splattered on the walls. Oh, wow. But mo most of the stories that come from there say that he just turns lights on and off and stuff like that. Um, another one is there's a, from the cancer hospital days, there's a spirit of a nurse dressed in all white, uh, you know, the old school mm -hmm. nurse costumes. Yep. And she's often seen pushing a gurney on the third floor, um, probably where she would have been pushing bodies back and forth. Back in the uh, day. So back in the day when it was a, a cancer hospital, you wouldn't be moving dead bodies around all the time. You know, you, there was certain times where you would move bodies um, mm -hmm. when no one was really walking around. So no one would really see them. And 11 PM was like that time. That's, that's uh, known as the hospital's time to start moving the deceased bodies out of the hospital. Right. And that's usually when people report seeing this nurse is around 11 o'clock at night. Uh, they see her moving bodies. Um, there's known to be squeaks and rattles uh, of, of like metal type gurneys rolling up and down hallways. Um, so I, I've been there um, a couple times, actually. Mm -hmm. My parents got actually the was it the third time my parents got married to each other? I think it was the third time they got married. They got married at the Crescent. Yeah, it would be a weird place to get married. Yeah, they got married. <laughs> and they stayed the night too. So, mm -hmm. yeah. But, a temper um, stayed the night there. Um, I don't know if she said she saw anything though. I haven't really talked to her about it, but she did the full ghost tour and everything mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. But um, there's people that say they see Doctor Baker himself there. Uh, He's known to be. He's known to dress sort of like like a. What's the word? Fan like fancy, but like 
off the wall kind of. So he's known as being like a white linen suit with a purple shirt. Uh, oh, what else is there? There's a bunch of there's a couple of different cancer patients um, who are known to walk the halls and stuff there. Um, there's just there's a, there's a bunch there's orbs. Uh, that's another really popular one that people say a lot about there is there's orbs that um, appear in most of the pictures that you take uh, if you're staying in a room or whatever uh, I have covers seen, being I've seen those pictures yeah covers being pulled off of them in the middle of the night stuff like that um, in the dining room there's a story of a small boy that skips around um, Yeah, there's a there's a bunch. It's it's known as America's most haunted hotel, um, and it's the the weird thing about it is it doesn't just have ghosts from that one time period when it was a cancer hospital. Um, like we mentioned in the last episode, usually ghosts are tied to some sort of traumatic event. Mm-hmm. Um, and that hotel just seems to have a lot of traumatic events attached to it, I guess. Oh, definitely. And there's a lot of spirits that um, kind of have latched onto the hotel over its long lifespan. Mm-hmm. Um, That's spooky. But yeah. It's a really interesting place. Can you guys see this picture I'm sharing? Mm, yeah. It almost looks like there's... I don't know, like like somebody standing there that's like creating a um I don't know some kind of double shadow like almost like there's a ghost in there that that's bouncing off of it's interesting yeah yeah that's the that's hmm. that's the Crescent Hotel um I've just always thought it was a really neat subject. I mean, just the the sheer amount of um, ghost stories that that pop up from there, you know, right? Is, a lot of, is a lot what of events. Kind of blows my mind. Yeah, it's like there's there's so many uh, witness accounts of mm-hmm. seeing something there. So. Oh yeah, like every. Every time someone goes there, they say they saw something. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so active. But you know, that whole area is so... Like Eureka Springs. I shared a picture earlier, remember I was sharing screen, of um, like a picture of where you could see the basin, which is the hotel that's at the bottom of the of the hill, and then the, the crescent up in the back. That whole area is... All those buildings are from the mid-1800s, late-1800s. And the Crescent's one of the newest buildings there, honestly. And it was built in 1886. So that whole area is so old. There's people been living there for so long, even predating, you know, European settlers, but Native Americans that used to use the valley, that there's so many spirits just floating in the area. Yeah, it's it's a cool area for sure. Um just the the big mountains and hills and springs, caves, all that stuff that's in that area, kind of uh, all the old build, all like Victorian style buildings. Mm-hmm. I've always really liked stuff like that. Yeah, it's a but, beautiful place. Anyways, um, one thing that I had, I've had a couple people ask me since since last week's episode, um, about like what's some of the first recorded um, ghost stories? Um, like how, how old back do we know that, you know, thought of ghosts was a, was a thing. And I guess there's no real, real way to say what's the oldest ghost story. Right. Cause I mean, ghosts have been a part of our society longer than we've had written history. Um, and, you know, even back to the oldest one that I could really find myself um, was one in the fifth century BC um, and it was a Greek, a Greek story of a haunted house in Athens. Um, and that was the oldest one that I could find to really write about, um, or that had been written about. 
But whenever you go back past that, you find mention of ghosts and spirits all the way back, you know, into Zoroastrianism, which is 10th century, um, predating that into, into, you know, Sumeria and some of those uh, mentions and even depictions or drawings of ghosts or spirits. And I, I don't really think that there's a way that we could say, you know, hey, what's the first ghost story or how old are the thought of ghosts? I think it just is something that's followed us our, our entire existence as a species, um, you know. It kind of depends on what you want to classify as a ghost. Right. Like, are we meaning... Yeah. Are we meaning like, um, what's the oldest spirit story or whatever? Because I mean, the Native Americans, like that was their thing, is right. the, the great spirits and the spirits of their ancestors mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That would you know come see them and talk to them, and they would do like vision quests and stuff like that and right. see spirits. Um, are you putting that in the? category of ghost or is ghost more of just pertaining to like hauntings kind of i mean i would honestly if something's coming to see them i mean because we haven't defined whether we're looking at hauntings as a good or a bad thing right and you bring up a extremely interesting point that i was going to get to with talking about native americans something that really always blows my mind is how you have disconnected societies that come come up with the same things you know we've talked about this in our when we've talked about religion before like with the native americans having uh, religions that honestly almost mirror a lot of your european religions right well it's almost the same thing with your spirits and ghosts um when you when you talk about like ancestor worship which is essentially what you're talking about when you're talking about um the native american like vision quests and their ancestors coming to visit them um, you know, that's a, a Indo-European thing. And then that's a, that's a Eurasian step thing as well. Um, to have your ancestors come and visit you in form of a ghost, but these are societies that developed completely self-contained from one another. I mean, you're talking about with the native Americans, I mean, 13,000 BC plus is, is the, you know, accepted time frame for them coming to America uh, and then not being really reestablished until the Vikings visit in the 900s. I mean, there's some conjecture on whether or not the Africans went or even the Chinese went to North America, which I love that theory. But um, I think that it really speaks to how ingrained this whole ghost thing is in us as a species in the fact that you have all these societies developing the same thought process regarding ghosts or spirits separated from one another. So it's like uh, <clears throat> you you spoke of uh, ancestral worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which is actually something I was going to kind of touch on. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the night marchers. Which is like a, it's a, it's a Hawaiian ghost okay. story type thing. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's a ghost story. It's, it's Did you it's, watch that movie on Netflix? No. What movie? Yes, you did. Don't lie to me. What movie? There's a Hawaiian movie on Netflix. I really. It's a brand new kids movie on Netflix. I swear. It's a live action kids movie on Netflix. <laughs> and literally in, you know how on Netflix, whenever you scroll over something, but you don't actually click on it yet, it starts playing little snippets through it and everything like that. Mm-hmm. On there, it talks about, that's what the, the movie's about, is about the night marchers. Uh-uh. I really don't. I can't. I don't. I can't remember what it's called, but it's super weird that I literally watched like the trailer or whatever for it today, that's and wild. now yeah. you're talking about it. No, that's it's a something on Netflix. <laughs> I'll have to figure it out now. Finding Ohana or something like that. Yeah, that's, that's it. It's drinking number seven. I I really haven't seen it. I I've, I've heard of this somewhere else at some point. That's crazy. <laughs> Because I've never heard that term before. Like I've never heard of the until today when it was on there. I never knew what they were. Like what the 
what they were actually called because I've, I've seen a video and it was it was like a meme or whatever it was talking about when they come or whatever like non-natives versus being native or whatever and how you would react or something but anyway so the night marchers are it's an it's a native hawaiian tradition i guess uh which basically is when ghosts of like the ancient hawaiian warriors they'll rise from the grave on uh sacred night and i don't even know what nights it's just it's sacred nights and uh they march out they they reenact specific battles or old battles they often march right after sunset or right before dawn and typically uh whoever witnesses it they kill um the exception being if if you have an if you have an ancestor uh, like among them like in their ranks interesting um, if not, you're supposed to either avert your eyes. Uh, it says in some some parts of it, or in some parts of this tradition, uh, you're supposed to lay face down on the ground to show respect. I said it says show respect to this will lead to great things, but if you don't, it almost always leads to death. Interesting. So it's just how. Which I guess, where did Hawaiian? Where did the Hawaiians come from? Yeah, this, I mean, it's almost like I don't want to say because I don't want to like be completely wrong, but I want to f- I want to have an idea that like is something to do with Japan, maybe like. So most of your Pacific Island. Um... Like your your DNA tra- tracing from your Pacific Islanders is almost more um, Indian African than Asian, um, and that you can really see that when you get into like Aboriginals of like um, uh, Australia, Australia. Yeah, sorry, I just went blank. Um, and and New Zealand, and then those people are the people that spread out um, to become your pacific islanders yeah there was the maori of yeah maori, new zealand um just for for whatever reason i the samoans the, uh filipinos indonesians mm-hmm. um all of them were kind of the same i think a lot of yeah. that uh genealogy and culture came from basically doing exactly what we did during World War II. And I, I think a lot of those people now there's I don't know if there's any evidence to this or not, but a theory that I really attach to and follow through that culture and that society, I guess, is uh, a lot of the island hopping kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of them humans in general all spawned out of uh parts of Asia, whether it be, you know, Caucasus Mountains or the Middle East. Mm-hmm. or uh, further east. Um, I think that, that specific genome of human kind of spawned from like the Indonesia, Philippine kind of area. Yeah. And they just did island hopping and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. that's kind of where they got today. Yeah. But Yeah. And there's actually been some recent studies um, that suggest that different homo sapiens actually – um, evolved independently from one another. So the study suggests that like your Indo-European um, group evolved, se- evolved separately from like your, uh, from an already present like North American group um, and so on and so forth, like an African group as well. I think that's an interesting study I've been reading about a lot lately. So, um, just to kind of get back to the ghost topic, I guess. Or... Oh, sorry. Well, no, no, you're fine. I just. I was just feeding into Christians. Anunnaki. We started talking about the. Um, <laughs> like where everything, you know, stems from Asian yeah. and that sort of thing. There's another, another story that I've, I actually kind of wanted to talk about, which is kind of. It almost reminds me of you, you've watched The Grudge. Mm-hmm. It kind of 
the imagery in it, I guess, kind of reminds me of her, but I don't know if that's right. I don't. Okay. Probably there's nothing to. It might just be What's the fact called? that it's a Japanese story. Tristan will be all over it. Well, have you, it's called. Uh, I'm gonna butcher this. Kuchisaki Anna. Kuchi. Oh, actually, mouth I found it already. Kuchi. The mouth woman. Oh, yes. Which she's a yokai. Do you have this as a tattoo, Tristan? Before we continue, I do not. Okay, I almost did though. We need to add that to the to the list, okay? <laughs> so ironically, yeah. if because uh, you know this is a story that takes that takes place in Japan, where typically. Uh, when it's cold and flu season, you know, in Japan, they typically wear face masks anyways. Mm-hmm. Well, we're all wearing face masks now, typically. Mm-hmm. And so the story goes, essentially, you're walking down the street alone. And, you know, as you're walking, you bump into this woman and she's wearing a, a surgical mask. Okay. You know, not not a crazy thing to see. It's it's you know cold season, whatever. And she'll ask you if she's pretty. Mm-hmm. If you say no, uh, she murders you with a pair of scissors. Okay. Um, and then if she if you say yes, uh, she removes her mask to reveal that her you know her mouth is uh, it's it's cut from ear to ear, mm-hmm. you know, kind of. Jokerish, I guess you'd say, mm-hmm. or like the what is it, Chelsea grin? Is that right? Is it? Yeah, yeah, like a yeah Chelsea grin. I guess is what it's called, like the Joker. Yeah, and then she will proceed to Jokerize you too. <laughs> so it's a lose lose situation there, I think. Yeah, um... which is this actually stems from. In 2007, a coroner found records from the 1970s of a woman who chased children, a woman with her mouth split from ear to ear. Hmm. So this one actually has, it's not just like a folk tale thing, you know, it actually stems from something. So going going back historically, are we talking like the, like the Edo period of Japan? Like 17th century Japan? This is 1970s, so this is... Well, I mean, like, historically, like, the story of the of the woman. I, I really, genuinely, I think I think this comes from probably in this time. I, I think this is a rather oh, really? recent, okay. rather recent uh, telling. I could be wrong. Yeah, so... Um, this is something a good way to, to spin off from that, actually, is to talk about yokai in general. Um... The Japanese actually have uh, some sort of spirit that pertains to almost everything. Um, right. And by everything, I mean literally almost everything. There's one that's uh, in the shape of an umbrella, but um, they're called yokai. And a, a yokai is uh, kind of a blanket term for a demon spirit, ghost, uh possessed item all sorts of stuff like that um and there's a lot of i'll hit on a couple of the the major ones so there's a uri um and the uri is kind of your typical ghost it's usually a woman um dressed in white like usually a white robe of some sorts uh and they're kind of your normal run-of-the-mill ghost um they can be found in Graveyards, houses near places of death, uh, they can haunt and uh, invoke powerful curses. They don't particularly roam about. They kind of stick to one area or person, um, attached to an object sometimes. But um, a lot of the Japanese ghosts are actually like aggressive and violent, uh, which I find pretty interesting. Um, there's like, for example, the one you were just talking about, the – I forgot her name. But yeah, she's uh, – it's a lose-lose situation with her. She, she, if you come upon her, she takes her mask off and asks if she's pretty, 
And if you say yes, she says you're lying and kills you. And if you say no, then you hurt her feelings and she kills you. <laughs> so there's no way of getting away from her. Um, there's also a, sh a Shirio or a Shiriai who is uh, a dead ghost is literally what it translates to. And they're kind of um, extra aggressive uh, and creepy. They kind of crawl instead of walking around and stuff like that. Oh. Uh, they usually appear just moments after the death of the person. Um, yeah, they're they're uh, very creepy. Um, on top of that, though, there's like I said, the a yokai doesn't just pertain to ghosts. Um, it can even pertain to things like a uh, raiju, which is uh, like kind of a thunder thunder god, thunder beast um, of the Japanese. Mm -hmm. uh, there's. Uh, tengus, a tengu is like a uh, in Japanese ancient Japanese culture. It's actually tengus is who taught humans how to fight. Um, they're bird men hybrids, basically that live high, high in the mountains, and they taught men how to fight with swords. Uh, they're master swordsmen. But there's uh, there's tons and tons and tons we can go through um i kind of wanted to find the one that was about the uh and the, the really cool thing about it is that throughout different areas of japan there's different um yokai that can mean the same things so like they have different names for the same creatures Right. Or they even have the same name for a creature, but it can be two different creatures. Uh, here, I'll find this one that was an umbrella. Makes it kind of hard to track them then. Yeah. The Karakasakozo is the umbrella one. Um, uh so their favorite so okay so i'll read this uh the behavior of a karakasakozo their favorite method of surprising humans is to sneak up on them and deliver a large oily lick with their enormous yeah. tongues <laughs> and, i want no umbrella it, licking on me yeah there's a lot of these uh yokai that are kind of just like mischievous um mm -hmm. another particular one uh, what is their names? I'll find it shortly. Give me just a second here. Uh, uh, Kappa, yeah. Kappa, I've heard of that before. Yeah, so a Kappa is a small, like, it translates to river child. It's a small um, frog or lizard-like little creature mm -hmm. that's about the size of a little boy but they're known to be like physically stronger than most men mm -hmm. uh, they live near water and stuff like that and they like to play tricks on humans and stuff um, mm -hmm. specifically little boys they like to trick little boys into getting in the water with them and drown them and then they eat them uh, the weird thing about them is their favorite like foods Spacey. their favorite foods are human entrails and cucumbers <laughs> Well, you I gotta don't. have your greens too. You can't go <laughs> all red meat. You gotta have some greens. But the weird, one of the more weird things about a kappa is the way to defeat them and take away their power is they're known to be really like honorable. Um, and so if you bow to them, they have to bow back, and a kappa keeps a, a small bowl of water on top of his head. And if he bows, that water falls out of his head, and he loses all of his power. And they wither away and die. That's interesting. But um, and that sounds Kappa, extremely Japanese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Copper known to be—they're kind of like the water gods of uh, the Shinto religion. Um, hmm. But yeah, cool. there's uh, even I'm um, like Godzilla. Um, mm -hmm. That's a pretty popular one. Godzilla is a kaiju, um, not really a yokai. They're kind of like the Titans, right? 
Um, yeah, a kaiju is kind of like uh, a god. Um, there's, I, it's yeah, it's like a like a giant monster kind of thing. Right. Um, but yeah, Godzilla's a kaiju. Like King Kong would be a kaiju, I guess, if you're talking to him in like a Japanese sense. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's even like even Japanese uh, mermaids are considered yokai. Even um, there's a Nura Nuraona and a Nino. Ninos are more actual mermaids. Mm-hmm. But the creepy part about them is that only their face is woman-like. Uh, the rest of their body is still like a fish. Oh. Um, so they have gills and like they have scales and stuff all over their body. Um, and then you have a Nuraona who is like a uh, a snake woman. Uh, she's shaped more like your traditional mermaid, but instead of a fish tail, she's got a snake tail. Like Medusa, essentially. Yeah, and they they are uh, va- basically vampire sea serpents. Uh, they live in caves under in the ocean, and they come out on land to find people to eat. But yeah, um, tons and tons. I mean, people can do research for hours into different yokai. Uh, they're they're pretty interesting. But anyways, I um. <laughs> have a kind of interesting um ghost story that actually i heard today during dinner um now i had no i had known this story before sorry are, are you you we I'm ready to done. move okay. i went on yeah i went on my tangent line sorry I, I i didn't want i didn't want to cut it we were ready to move um today during dinner actually i had heard this a bunch of times in my life but i couldn't remember it well enough to actually tell it last week but it's actually from my mom um so when see, I probably would have been five. Um, my dad was stationed at Fort Campbell, and we so she was working managing um, some little Caesars um, around Fort Campbell. She was probably 20, 21, 22 at the time, I would say, somewhere in there. Um, but there was this one particular store that she would go in, and a lot of weird, like kind of small. Um, almost non-noticeable things would happen like things getting pushed back from the edges of shelves or things just slightly moving around. Um, but one time she, she was working in the back and there's kind of like the walkthrough door, right? So you come into the lobby and you order, and then there's the door that keeps you away from the people in the back. Right. And, um, and they keep that door shut and locked. Okay. Well, at one point in time, she was standing in the back working, and she had left the, the walkthrough door open, which said she was really bad about doing that, leaving this walkthrough door open. Um, and then all of a sudden, she heard, hears it slam shut. And she looks at it, and she visibly watches the lock turn on it, like the, like the handle, the lock spin on it so that you can see it lock. Nobody was there. She was there alone. Um freaked her out and all that and so she brought it up to the regional manager whoever's in charge of like multiple of these stores whoever was above her and he said oh no not you too don't you be doing this too and uh he then goes on to tell her that actually before that was a little caesar's it was an ice cream shop and a girl who worked at the ice cream shop someone had came in and killed her during a robbery and she died in the building. And so my mom felt that it was that that person locking the door was this girl protecting her from someone coming in. Now, another very interesting thing that happened around that time at, around Fort Campbell, um, this would have been 96, I believe. Um I'm pulling up so I get the names right. But there was a string of killings around Fort Campbell at the time. And a week or two after this particular thing occurred, um, 
there was a Baskin Robbins right down the road that two girls were kidnapped and murdered from that were working there. They came in, robbed the place, kidnapped them and murdered them. Um, so my mom just feels like this was some kind of, you know, this, the spirit of this girl saving her from, or, you know, not necessarily saving her, but keeping for something from happening to her, you know, I think it's so this very- happened at Fort Hood or something. Not Fort Hood, Fort Campbell. I mean, it sounds like Fort Hood, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I always thought that was a very interesting one because I mean, she said she visibly watched the lock. Like, the, you know, you see the little lock on the handle. She visibly watched it turn and, uh, and lock. I just thought that was, thought that was a really cool one. Favorite when you hear about people, like people you know having experiences. Yeah. Yeah, people that you wouldn't like be like, okay, are they not ever actively like, oh, yeah, like you you hear us talk about it and you're like, okay, y'all, yeah, you guys look for it and you're probably yeah. reaching and you yeah. guys are believable, but then, oh, Joe down the block is like, listen, guys, <laughs> saw some wild stuff one night. Yeah, no, I, I mean I completely agree, and that's and those are really the stories I like to hear is from people that that you know like literally have no reason to to just fabricate a story or something you know i i think that that's that's where you get a lot of your a lot of your really good stories from and you know and and it's always something very small like locking a door you know something very subtle that i think this goes back into um you know where earlier i was talking about like your ancestor worship and all of that and your family and people, spirits coming to visit people. I don't think that hauntings are so much this poltergeist living in this house that's disturbing these people's lives. That's not really so much where I see hauntings. I see it more in subtle, very small, noticeable details. So my thought process behind this is that possibly they're stuck in a loop reliving their death yeah very possible so because it it makes it out to me like maybe the 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 girl was running to this ice chest to close the door you know lock it or whatever Mm -hmm. and you know then she got killed or she had just got out of it closed the door locked it and then that happened Mm -hmm. that's very possible yeah like reliving this because it's there's a lot of and like pop culture uh, with with ghosts and stuff Mm -hmm. like that that's they relive their death and they they can interact with you yeah and they can see you and they're 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 not on the same plane Mm -hmm. they're there like they're interweaved in the same plane right so when they do oh (laughs) sorry when they do stuff it sometimes can affect yeah the you know art the plane we're living on you do see that a lot um pop culture wise you're right a lot of movies are like that so do we want to talk uh, this this i've been wanting to talk about this one all day because it's not really a ghost story it's kind of more of a spooky legend which is kind of what I'm into more so. No, let's go for it. But this one scared me earlier. That's why we were gonna. We uh-huh. had the plan to. Uh, we had the plan to have all both of us, you know, the lights off and candle lit. And I turned my lights on. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's when I reach when I retell this or when I once I talk about it, it's not gonna sound scary. People are gonna be like, "Oh, you little sissy," but <laughs> I got in my head. And I started doing it, and I said the name one too many times, I think, or I was right there with it. I was like, I've got to be careful. I've got to be careful. And there's, you know, there's a mirror behind me that you can't see. Either way, you know, there's a mirror <laughs> directly behind me, which so then I started getting freaked out a little more, and it's. <sighs> you guys ever heard of Bloody Mary? <laughs> Because I'm terrified of this woman. <laughs> <laughs> no, he literally, before you got in here, Tristan, he was working himself up over this. I'm like, legitimately, I stood up and I turned the light on. I said, like, I'm not doing this no more. I'm terrified. But I'm like, 
Right. So the story goes is I'm not going to say her name again. <laughs> um, just according to the legend, right? So the story goes. So essentially, she is a woman that was. I'm I'm getting flustered here. Essentially, before she's dead, before she becomes this vengeful spirit or whatever, or you know, depending on which which variation you use of her, how she died or what happened to her. Um, you know, she's she's the ghost of an unhappy woman. Uh, so it differs by either she either committed suicide due to having her baby stolen or um or she was accused of murdering her children okay so either she you know either either she killed herself because she was accused of it or they were stolen mm-hmm. um it's a, so you know depending on which one you use it either turns her into a spirit mad with grief or a spirit uh filled with anger she haunts the world via via the use of mirrors her name is in in life her name was mary worth um but there's there's speculations on that though if if the real life version of her was queen mary the first i believe um there's also been talk there was a woman who suffered from her her menstrual cycle. <laughs> Please continue. It, well, the, so she had very, very heavy, very infrequent, just strange menstrual cycles, mm-hmm. and um, which led to her being named. You know, in in real life, her name she ended up getting the nickname Bloody Mary and because so, of her menstrual cycles. Well, she would <laughs> like yes. Yeah, I don't know. Don't don't ask me how. It's just that's part of the life here. It just one of the stories leads to that and so you know she was distraught over all this bullying and whatnot and so you know when she dies she comes a little more vengeful mm-hmm. and in this story it was this one particular one that i've been reading on um so typically mary worth will appear if if you know someone's either brave enough or stupid enough i am apparently neither um, you say her name three times in the mirror. Uh, story differs either at midnight. I'll give you twenty not. bucks if you turn around and say it in that mirror while we're recording. Uh, I won't do it. Um, <laughs> so it's it you it has to be in complete darkness. Um, I've I've never heard that it needs to be at midnight, but there's I mean there are uh, stories that are saying it has to be in complete darkness at midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all, it also says that there's variations of this legend, um, where if you state, if you, you know, it's in the dark, you look in the mirror and you state, uh, as you say, quote, bloody Mary, I killed your baby or quote, I believe in Mary worth. Okay. Um, uh, you know, she'll also appear too. Typically... You know, like most ghosts, they they merely scare humans. Bloody Mary is said to be capable of physical harm, so okay. she will either kill her victims, she'll disfigure them, uh, she'll decapitate them. A big, I don't know what's the word. Like a, so, her big thing is scratching their eyes out. Okay. All right, she'll basically she'll claw their eyes out. Um, if she's being merciful, you know, if she's in that mood or whatever, uh, she, she'll turn her victims insane. Um, if she likes the person, she'll drag them into the mirror with her. So, and it's, I think this turned into, say, a lot of people dismiss it. You know, it's just a game and right. what have you. I don't care <laughs> find out if it is a game because yeah i'm good i want to find there's more on her i want to i wish i could find where it was like her actual life 
Well, so, well, because it depends. Right? I mean, it literally, the story is, uh, it's a, you know, obviously, it's a, this is an urban legend, and it's just mm -hmm. a, it's a it's game a that's been made up, that's been placed on somebody. Mm -hmm. All this stuff starts somewhere, though. Yeah, but so this, I mean, because I, I've seen two different, two separate possibilities on where it could have originated. It's either Queen Mary the First, I think. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's her name, or there's this name, this girl named Mary. Um. Okay, so this and this part is inspired. This one says it's inspired by Queen Mary First of England. Yeah, Bloody Mary, Mary Tudor. Uh huh. Um. Due to the due to the hundreds of people she burned at the stake during her mm -hmm. rule from 1553 until her yeah. death in 1558. Yeah. So that's I guess that's where the thought you know it's it's thought to originate from that. Mm -hmm. but like I said, there was a there was another telling of it where some woman named Mary. I for some reason, her menstrual cycle. I don't know. I don't know how that ties in. A little in. heavy. I literally backed off of that one because I was like, that one's weird. But now I'm like, oh, maybe I should have left it on there. I have a, I have another good urban, urban one. If you wanna, if you wanna hear it. Oh, shoot. So this one actually recently was made into a movie, um, oh, and it's. Rona. La Lorena. You are I correct. Gonna, I was going to talk about that one too, but I done forgot it. Really? Yeah, so, I had it pulled up earlier. So, uh, do you want to tell you? I mean, can I go you ahead? Can tell it. I, yeah, no. Okay. So, uh, La Lorena is a Latin American folk um, story. She's commonly used to scare kids into being good at night. But she's creepy as hell. Okay. La Llorona, or the Weeping Woman, or the Wailer, it's a ghost that often roams waterfronts, mourning her drowned children. So you have a few different um, origin stories here, but it's commonly, um, commonly thought that this actually comes from Aztec. Um, from Aztec uh, lore with, um, sorry, let me go back to, I had the name up earlier of, of the person that I thought it was. Um, La Minchale, La Minchale, or uh, Chiacotl um, in Aztec mythology. So, so this is a very long running, scare your kids stray story um, that's been going on for years. Um, and there's even stories where they actually say that she was uh, a Nahu woman who was an interpreter for Cortez. Um, Cortez is the guy who defeated the Aztecs, right? And that um, she had a son with Cortez, and that's the drowned child that she um, is, is mourning. Um, so there's, I mean, this is a very well ingrained in in the Hispanic um, society's folklore, the La Llorona. Um, but she's recently been um, made into a movie. Um, there's actually quite a few movies um, that she's been um, depicted in, going back to a 1935 film with the name La Llorona. Um, there's all kinds of modern depictions of her, but there is some very scary, like firsthand accounts of people experiencing or being, um, um, I don't, uh, the right word's not attacked, but, uh, approached. Um, and CJ, did you pull up the story about what she will say to you if she approaches you? Did you find that? Uh, She'll, she offers like to trade.
um, she offers to trade her your kids for okay yeah so she'll approach you wearing a she's a tall thin spirit um with natural beauty um long flowing black hair wearing a white gown um and so traditionally the thought is that she's she's searching for kids to to drag into the waters um to replace her own children kind of act as a um a sacrifice to get her children back to make her children not uh mad at her yes yes for drowning um, them because mm-hmm. she went mad and drowned them so it's weird which we talk about pop culture i get low i never i don't know why i didn't know this um la la rona uh is actually the antagonist on the the pilot episode of supernatural Hmm. Probably no one gives a crap about that but me, but... <laughs> you are a supernatural addict. Um, so this also talks about what... Uh, let me find where I just read that. Because this goes back to kind of similar to uh, the Bloody Mary. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently some of the myth or some of the legend is that uh, she comes when you call her name three times in the dark. Um, she can come into your room at night, take you from your bed like she'd done with her own babies. It was once thought that she'd been a person, a woman, a mother, and then a moment, an instant, a split second later, she was a monster. She also, when we go back to, we, t- we discussed the um, different cultures mm-hmm. having very similar things. Talking um, about Hera? Yeah, so, yes, uh, well... Um, Lamia, Lamia mm-hmm. which was, you know, she's a Greek a demigoddess mm-hmm. who had relations with Zeus, of course. And Hera they killed... They all did. All, yeah, everyone did. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Hera killed all of her children mm-hmm. that she had with Zeus. And then, you know, over jealousy, uh, out of jealousy over the loss of her children she goes and kills other women's children. Yeah. Tell me all these, all these stories, some, there's some, something there, there's something there that connects all these societies. Let's say 8,000 to 10,000 years ago. That some interchanging of information you know, some people think it was the Egyptians, that the Egyptians, um, because there was some Egyptian mummies that actually had some cocaine, or is it cocaine or chocolate? One of the two. Cocaine or chocolate in their system, same thing. Um, cocaine or chocolate in their system. Um, so they would have had to have traveled to the Americas. So I personally think that 5,000 to 3,000 BC, somewhere in there, there was this big, massive interconnection of society that we lost um, at some point in time. And that's how we got all these stories that kind of um, could be a big trade route that we just kind of don't know about. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's how all these stories and these cultures and this, all this stuff spread. Or there's a lot of stuff going on. That's real. That just for some reason doesn't happen is maybe with all the technology and stuff, it's a little more diluted. Well, I'll say lastly, we explained the magic out of the world, right? Yeah. It's not as prevalent anymore. But she could be, because if you think about ghosts and stuff like that, they act, they kind of operate on a different plane, wavelength, mm-hmm. such, so on and yeah. so forth. So maybe as, as more technology comes out and there's more different things kind of blowing through the air, it kind of interrupts it. Definitely. I mean, sense. I... I think that's probably true. Because, I mean, whenever you get into, like, not even ancient history, but just recent out-of-our-lifetime history, and you look at, like, ghost stories and stories like that involve things that we would consider magic or, you know, supernatural, they are... 
so much more extreme than the things that we see today. Like the like the Bell Witch story. I mean, things like that. They are they are so just extravagant that all of it can't be bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's too much like stuff. Some of it has to be true. Oh, Tristan, did you have we I feel like me and CJ have held the floor for a while. Do you have anything that you want to No, uh, no. I'm pretty much um I'm tapped out on on all my ghostly stuff. Ghostly knowledge. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to I could never find it. I know one of the big things I wanted to talk about going into this was a local thing too um mm-hmm. which but i can't ever find it. i cannot find um i can't for whatever reason i can't get the right keywords to type in apparently it's not talked about on the internet enough or at all or whatever mm-hmm. but i've whole, heard heard multiple uh stories about it where essentially on halloween at midnight if you go down a very specific road in our local area, mm-hmm. um, as you get to a certain tree, you'll hear chains dragging over the top of your car. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I mean, even with all that information, I've not been able to find anything. And I've heard it on the radio, on a, one of the local radio channels at one point. They talked about it. For, the crossroads uh, is what they call that, right? I think something like that. The crossroads. But I can't, because I always thought it was in in Alton and then I'd heard it was in Thayer. I've always heard that it's in Thayer, but I'm pretty sure if it's if you go down W Highway, um to the end of W, go past Grand Gulf, the next dirt road crossroad you go through, I think that's where it's at. Because I actually did it when I was uh sixteen or seventeen. Um went down there with some girls um and we did the whole crossroads thing. I mean nothing like super crazy happened. I didn't really notice anything but we done and that they were from there and they said that's where it was, but I don't know. I always forget about it come Halloween at midnight. <laughs> well, if any of our listeners have have ever done the crossroads thing, I mean a lot of our listeners are local Oregon County residents. Um, if you have, let us know. Make a comment so we can uh, we can talk to you about it. That'd be something we'd definitely be interested in figuring out. Yeah, tell us where to go so we can go there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we like to get ourselves into trouble, so we're definitely down for that. But that's that's all I got. Alrighty. Yeah, I think it's a better good time to close it off here. Yeah, I think I think we've covered a lot of really good topics today. But all right, well, um, thanks everybody for joining us again this week, and ask the questions, question the answers, and we'll see you next time.